Well, if you've got a Bible in front of you, it'd be really helpful if you turn to that passage that um, Holly read earlier from Colossians chapter 1. Um, on these black Bibles, it's page 983, if you've got one of those. If you haven't got a Bible and you want one, could you raise your hand? And then if someone's got more Bibles on their table than they need, maybe you could go and grab one from them. So everyone's got a Bible they can see, that would be great. And uh, while you do that, just one more thing about this Wednesday to clarify. Um, so the, the idea of having it a bit earlier from 6 till 8 is that if you've got families with children and you want to come, then you can. So please feel free to come with your kids and eat with them and then we'll try and do Bible time and prayer time with, with children around. And hopefully that will somehow work out. I'm not quite sure how yet. But. Okay, so Colossians chapter 1. Um, I want to start with a question actually. Uh, I wonder if you ever take a step back and look at your life and feel kind of dissatisfied. Kind of like what you've got in your life isn't enough. It might be your possessions. You look at uh, the home you live in, uh, the clothes in your wardrobe, your, your computer, your TV, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever it is, and you think, if only it was different, my life would be so much better. Or maybe it's your, uh, your appearance. You look in the mirror and there's just one bit of your, your body or your, your face or your hair or whatever. You think, if only that was different, my life would be so much better. Or maybe you look at your, uh, your relationships with people you love and you think, if only we got on better. If only we had more time together. If only we didn't argue so much. Life would be so much better. If only things were different. Or maybe something about yourself, your personality. Uh, the way you are with people. If only I was funnier, more relaxed, more intelligent. We have this voice in us, don't we? I know I do. If I take time to think about it, a voice which says, your life will be so much better. What you have is not enough. Anyone with me on that? We have this voice, don't we? What makes it harder is the voice is not just from within our head, it's from around us. So our whole culture is built on advertising, isn't it? It's a huge billion-dollar-pound industry. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's built around trying to make us feel like what we have is not enough. Someone defined advertising as the art of convincing people to spend money they don't have for something they don't need. And they, they're very good at it. Very, you, you go and you, uh, you can't watch TV for more than half an hour without seeing adverts or 15 minutes if you're watching the Ashes highlights on Channel 5, uh, which I like to when I can. Um, and, and billboards, and, and they're saying, if, if, if only you could buy this product or have this experience, then your life will be so much better. What you have now is not enough. And we look at those adverts and we think, yeah, actually, they're right. I, next time I buy a car, I am going to go for that one because that, that guy looks so happy and cool driving that car. Or, yeah, I, I do need to buy a new shampoo because my hair does look, and, and that lady, her hair's so flowing and nice, and I must get that shampoo. And it works. And it works by making us feel like what we have is not enough. And we get used to being told and we get, we get dissatisfied with our lives. Now, if you're a Christian, you'll know all too well how easily that kind of attitude slips into church and Christianity. And it might not be on billboards or on TV adverts. We don't see people advertising, buy this product to give your Christian life a boost. It's not really going to sell, is it? 
But if you walk into a Christian bookshop and look at the bookshelves, you'll find actually a similar kind of thing. Buy this book to revolutionize your prayer life. Or 12 spiritual disciplines to give you a closer walk with God. An intimacy that you didn't know before. Seven steps to victory over sin. And then you go to the the CD or the the DVD rack and they're offering uh, worship experiences that you, you, you need to have to get you closer to God. And it's the same kind of thing. Voices from without us, outside us, saying what you have is not enough. And then we look within us and we listen to the voices in our head and we think, yeah, actually, I haven't prayed for a day or a week. And the voice says, what kind of Christian are you? Or are you falling into that sin again, the one that you said you'd never do again? And the voice says, what kind of Christian are you? What you've got in your life is not enough. You need to get something else. You need to get something new, the next thing, the next best, best thing. And then that will make your whole life better. And maybe you look around at other Christians as well. And everyone else seems to be doing great. And they're passionate, they're going for it. They're praying all the time. And you, you look at the, the YouTube videos. You know when you go to click on a Christian song and it's a video of the concerts and there's people closing their eyes with their hands in the air and they're, just, they're loving God and they're so passionate about him and you think, it's not me. And it looks like other people have got something that you haven't got. And you feel like, am I missing out? Am I a kind of second tier Christian? Is there another level that I haven't got to? And we're so used to being told from adverts, what you have is not enough. You need to go and get this thing to make your life better. We apply the same kind of logic. We, we look at our Christian lives and we, and we think, what I have is not enough. So I need to go and get the, buy the latest book or go to the latest conference. And that will be the answer. And that kind of attitude, that kind of thinking, is pretty much exactly what was going on in the church in Colossae. Where Paul was writing his letter to that we're looking at over the next six weeks. That's why it's such a great book for us to be studying, I think, um, over, the, over the summer. So the story of Colossians uh, starts with a guy called Epaphras. So let me give you a bit of a background of the story of Colossae, and you'll, you'll see what, what I mean. I'm just going to have a drink because it's hot and I'm very thirsty. So um, Epaphras is this guy. Uh, he's from Colossae. It's his hometown. Um, Colossae is in Turkey, where we would now know as Turkey. And uh, it used to be a pretty major city, one of the, the major cities in Turkey before the time of Jesus. Around the time after Jesus and around the time Paul was writing, it's kind of on the decline a bit. One of the, the big city, the place to go was Ephesus, about 100 miles west of Colossae, west for you guys. So Ephesus goes to, um, sorry, Epaphras goes to Ephesus, um, I don't know, for business, whatever he was doing there. And he hears about this guy Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's preaching every day um, <clears throat> in the lecture halls. <clears throat> At lunchtime. So he goes off to one of these lunchtime meetings, hears Paul talking about Jesus. And Epaphras is intrigued. He goes back again. And what Paul's saying is just compelling. This guy who came to show us who God is, who claimed to be God, who died and rose again. And Epaphras is drawn to Jesus and he's converted. He becomes a Christian. He's so excited about his new faith. He goes back to Colossae, where he's from, and he tells everyone about this new faith he's got in Jesus. Come and hear the good news. And some of his friends become Christians. And they start meeting in his house. And then other people hear about it and more people come. They're becoming Christians. They start meeting in a few houses. People from the surrounding cities start becoming Christians. And soon, 
There's a few churches being planted all by, from this guy, Epaphras, who's taken the gospel back to where he's from. And it's a really exciting time. There's new life and there's joy and people are loving each other and they're showing the love of Jesus to each other and to the community around them and it's great, it's, it's, it's amazing. So this goes on for a few years and Epaphras is still there, he's plugged in, he's serving the church, he's telling people about Jesus and he starts to hear some new ideas that are coming into the church. So Colossae is quite a cosmopolitan city full of different philosophies and religious beliefs, sort of paganism, some folk practice, Judaism, and some people in the church are being influenced by all those sort of beliefs and philosophies. And they're bringing this teaching into the church, and they're bringing some false teaching into the church in Colossae. And they're teaching people, um, you can have a, a deeper spiritual experience um, that's, that's kind of not accessible to ordinary Christians. They're, they're talking about um, things like the worship of angels and visions, this kind of mystical world out there that's a, 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 le- a level above ordinary Christianity. They're saying, okay, you come in by believing in Jesus, and now we can complete or perfect your sort of ordinary faith. And, and the pathway, they say, to this higher level of, of spirituality is through a special deep knowledge. Um, it's through spiritual disciplines and asceticism and fasting and, and also keeping all the right rules and regulations, um, including the Jewish ones at the time. So the Christians in, in the, the, the young church in Colossae are starting to get worried. They're saying, is this true? Are we missing out on something? Maybe there is more to it than just Jesus. Maybe there is another level, a second tier of Christianity that we're not part of. Did Epaphras really tell us the full gospel? Is, is there something he's not letting on? And Epaphras is there and he's hearing this happening and he's worried. He's concerned about this. He thinks, what can I do? He comes up with an idea. I know. I heard the gospel from Paul. I'll go and see what Paul has to say. So Paul, by this time, is in Rome. He's in house arrest in Rome, but he can receive visitors. So Epaphras goes to visit him in Rome, tells him all about what's happening in Colossae. says, it's, it's really encouraging, but I've got these concerns. And Paul is, is thrilled to hear about the faith of the Colossians and the, and the growth. But he's also very worried about this teaching. So he sits down, writes a letter, and gives it to Epaphras to take back to Colossae. And that letter is what we've got now in our Bibles the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And that's what we're going to be uh, looking at for the next six weeks. And Paul's purpose in writing this letter is really to encourage the Colossian Christians and to tell them, look, there is no second tier. You have Jesus, you have enough. You have everything you need in Jesus. You have the full gospel. So don't look anywhere beyond him. Basically what he does, he just spends the whole letter talking about how great Jesus is and, uh, and how he's enough for them. And that's why I'm really excited about looking at this letter over the next um, six weeks. Because I think that's exactly what we need um, as a church. We need to just get a load of Jesus. Just have someone tell us how great he is and why he's enough for us. And just keep our eyes on him. I think perhaps especially for us at the moment as a church, if you're new to us, you may not be aware. We're in a, a season of transition in terms of leadership. And what we need now more than ever, I think is to keep our eyes on Jesus and to be reminded he's what it's all about. To be brought back to basics. This is what the gospel is. This is what it's all about. Keep your eyes on him. So that's where we're going over the next six weeks. And today, we're looking at just the first section of Colossians, the first 14 verses. 
So that's um, where your Bible is open, hopefully. And the first thing Paul wants to do here is encourage the Colossian Christians. And he says, be encouraged because you have the full gospel. Be encouraged because you have the full gospel. That's verses 1 to 8. Let's just reread that. So I can retrieve my Bible. Um, Colossians from verse 1 through to verse 8. Paul, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's kind of a standard introduction to a letter. He uh, dives in. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I've lost my am. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirits. So Paul wants them to know the gospel they received from Epaphras, the gospel they heard, and the gospel they trusted in is the full gospel, is everything they need. And he gives a few reasons for this. So first of all, he says, look, your, your lives are showing the evidence of, of real Christianity. I'm, I'm hearing about you and what's, what's being displayed in your life. There's real evidence of real Christianity. So that, so that shows what you've got is the full gospel. He, he uses this, this sort of triad, faith, uh, love, and hope. I don't know if you notice that in verses uh, 4 and, and 5. And that group of three there is kind of an, uh, a shorthand. It's a group of three that Paul uses in quite a lot of his letters to sort of describe uh, authentic Christianity. Um, and the thing is, these, these three don't happen naturally. They don't come naturally to us. So w- what is faith? Faith is being absolutely convinced, assured of God's goodness and love for you in Jesus. That's what faith is. And that doesn't happen naturally. See, naturally, we fight against God. We don't like him being in our lives. We see him as a rival. We want to be in charge of our own lives. So when God comes in and he says, I'm good, I love you, and I have good plans for you, we say no. We say, I don't believe you. I don't believe your plans are the right way for me. I want to live life my own way. That's our natural approach towards God. And what happens when you become a Christian? You start hearing more about what he's done for you, Start hearing about how God took on flesh and died for you and rose again for you. And you start to think, oh, hold on. This is true. He really does love me and he really did do all that for me. And faith is when you throw in the towel. Faith is when you give up the fight and you say, okay, God, I believe you. You're good. I trust you. And it's when you receive what he's done for you. That's what faith is. And that doesn't happen naturally. That's a gift of God by the Spirit. And the fact that the Colossians are showing evidence of faith in Jesus shows that what they've received is the true gospel. Same with love. So love for all the saints. And that is not a natural thing. If you've come across, if you've spent any time in churches, you'll know. Churches are full of people who are different to you, uh, who you might not get on with, uh, naturally you might not click with. But again, when you become a Christian, having received the love of God... 
you find that you love other people. That's not the same as liking people. Love is when you, you have a deep and genuine desire for other people's good. You care. And you find I'm caring for these people that aren't like me and are different and, and don't really get me and I don't really get, but I want good for them. And that's not natural. And that happens when you hear the true gospel. And that's happening in the Colossians. And that's evidence. And then hope. Um, have a look down at verse 5. He says, um, this, this faith and love um, are in you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So he's saying, the hope that you have is in you because of the gospel. Hope, hope is a, a fundamental part of the gospel. And see how, do you see how he describes it? The word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel is true. You heard the gospel, therefore you have hope. You have hope, therefore you have faith and love. Can you see the sequence? Paul's saying, look, your lives are showing the evidence of real Christianity. And that shows that the gospel you heard is true. So he goes on. Another reason, a piece of evidence he gives, verse 6, is that the same gospel that they heard is bearing fruit in the whole world. Can you see that? He says, indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now, this carries quite a lot of weight coming from Paul because Paul has visited half the known world at that time. He's been around and he's seen this happening. He says, the same gospel I preached to Epaphras and that he gave to you is the same gospel I've preached and everywhere I've been, same words, and it's really simple. All that happens is people hear the gospel and they understand the grace of God and they respond in faith. Simple as that. Nothing more. They hear the good news of Jesus' love for them. They, they understand it. And they respond in faith. Anywhere he goes, it's the same. So he says, it's happened to you. It's happening everywhere I've been. That shows what you've got is the real thing. Because it's bearing fruit. As it, as it did also among you. And then finally he goes back to Epaphras, verse 7. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant... So he says, you know the gospel you've received is true because you heard it from a faithful messenger. So he goes back to Epaphras' character and says, this guy's an authentic guy. He's a faithful guy. And he's the one that, that preached the gospel to you. So you know that you've got the real thing because it, because it came from him. Um, ha- have a look over. Just flick the page over to um, Colossians 4 verse 12. Um, he mentions Epaphras again in verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So this guy, even though they can't see him and don't know what he's doing, he's struggling every day for them in prayer. He really loves them and he cares about them. And Paul sees that. He sees Epaphras' heart and he says, you can trust the gospel because you got it from this guy. So Paul's saying, I want you to be encouraged because you have the full gospel. I don't know if you've ever questioned this for yourself. Maybe you've questioned whether the simple gospel of faith in Jesus really is enough for you. Um, I had this experience, I think, as a teenager. Um, I grew up going to a church where um, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was faithfully preached um, every week. And in my early teens, um, I responded and I became a Christian. Um, But I think it's fair to say the church where I grew up was uh, culturally quite conservative and quite um, rigid and formal, not very expressive. Um, So in my early Christian years, I didn't really uh, have a way of relating to God that involved, I think, my heart 
and my, my passions and my desires. So it was quite a, quite a formal thing for me. Um, and then at about age 14, I went to a summer camp um, with a whole bunch of other kids my age from churches across Coventry, where I grew up. Um, and it was an amazing experience. And I, I met people there, and I experienced there people worshipping God in a way that was real, in a way that seemed like they really loved him, and they were passionate about him. And I was blown away. I thought, whoa, what have these people got that I don't have? And there were all sorts of other things as well at that camp. There were people speaking in tongues. There were people kind of falling over on the floor and laughing uncontrollably during the, the worship. Um, there was people with um, oil on their hands. And I was kind of feeling like, oh, this is a new level of Christianity that I've been missing out on. And in some senses, that was true. Um, in the sense that I think I hadn't really been relating to God up until then. I hadn't really been, uh, as I said, engaging with him with my passions and desires. And I think that week, I began actually worshipping God like I really loved him. I began actually praying to him. Um, so I went back to, to home and I started telling my friends at school that I was a Christian um, and all this sort of thing. So it was a really important week for me. Um, but I think there was a sense in which an unhelpful way um, in which it felt like a, a new level. I, it gave me a, a desire for a kind of deeper experience of God that was beyond just simple faith in Jesus. Um, now, my personality is not the kind of one to go and speak in tongues and fall on the floor during worship. Um, so, so I sought that experience in a way that was more fitting for my personality, which was reading books. So I went off and I, I got into um, books about the mystics and kind of spiritual uh, people and... Um, Looked at, look, thought a lot about spiritual disciplines and prayer and meditation, looking for a kind of deeper experience of God that was beyond the, the simple gospel. And I think that, that sort of focus in those years of my life of, uh, on methods and techniques, I think actually distracted me from Jesus and from just simple faith in him. And I think there probably was a sense in, in my heart in those years that the, the simple gospel... Um, wasn't quite enough, that I needed something more. And Paul says here in his letter, no. He says, the gospel that you heard and the gospel that you understood and the gospel that you responded to, the simple gospel, that is all you need. Don't look any further than that. That is all you need. So if you're questioning maybe whether the simple gospel uh, really is enough, whether it really is the real thing, um, why not try these three things? Why not um, think back to the person who preached the gospel to you, who shared the gospel with you, and think about their character, just like Paul goes to Epaphras' character here. Think, is that person a godly, mature person who's showing the signs of of the Spirit's uh, work in them? If so, that gives confidence that what I heard was the real thing. Or uh, maybe look at how the gospel is spreading over the world, like Paul was saying. I know in this country it's, it's... it's a hard place to be a Christian and we don't see much fruit and growth. But in other countries across the world, places like China, uh, South America, even Iran, the gospel is just exploding. People are becoming Christians like exponentially. And it's so encouraging and exciting. And the gospel is bearing fruit. It really works. Or maybe like Paul spots evidences uh, in, the, in the Colossians' lives of faith and love. Why not um, ask a friend, someone who really knows you? Could you look at, for evidences in my life? Of, of real, genuine Christianity, if you're not sure. Now, I want to be careful here, because I think our natural response to this kind of thing is, 
I need to look inside myself. I need to examine myself. Have I got faith? Have I got love? And if not, oh, am I really a Christian? But that's not what Paul's getting at here. He doesn't, he doesn't say in his letter, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, if you've got faith and love and hope, then it's okay, you're in. He doesn't say that. He says, we always thank God when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith and love and hope. He's saying, don't look for it in yourselves. I'm doing the looking and it's there. So be encouraged. Your job is to look to Jesus. So if it's other people's job to look for faith and love in you, then maybe it's your job to look for that in other people too. So why not think, is there someone close to you that you could encourage? When you did that the other day, when you, um, when you said sorry to me when you did that thing wrong and you, you asked me to forgive you, that was a real evidence of faith in you. Be encouraged. Or when I was feeling low and you, you kept... You came over and you, uh, you cooked for me, you, you did my ironing, or you just sent me that text or sent me that email or wrote that card at the right time. That was a sign of love for all the saints in you, and that's encouraging. Why not do that? So, so Paul's saying to them, be encouraged, guys. You have the full gospel. You don't need to look anywhere else for, for more. But Paul knows there's a danger in saying that as well. There's a danger in saying you have everything you need in Jesus, because the whole, uh, the whole point of the, the false teaching that was happening in Colossae, in the church, was these false teachers were saying, there is more, there's something else, there's something extra. And that was appealing, it's attractive. Because we all want to grow and develop, don't we, naturally. And if you say, you've got everything you need already, and there's nowhere further for you to go, that could be seen as a bit kind of uh, uh, restrictive, or a bit boring. Like, I've got everything I need already, well where's the room for growth then? So, Paul goes on in the next section. He's just said, be encouraged. You have the full gospel. He goes on to say, be excited because you have room for growth. That's verses 9 to 14. Let's just read that. Uh, And so, he says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul wants the Colossians to know, look, having Jesus isn't boring. It's not restrictive. It's actually the most exciting thing in the world. The most exciting thing in the world. And he does that by sharing what he's praying for them. So it's kind of like an indirect way of saying to them, here's where you need to grow. I I think that's great. that uh, You can share by prayer requests some kind of indirect communication. I don't know if you've ever done that um, as a parent with your children. Uh, Praying, dear God, I pray that little Jimmy will learn how to uh, honour and respect and obey his parents, uh, especially when they tell them uh, to pick up their toys from the bedroom. Amen. Uh, Anyone done that? Is is that just me? (laughs) Uh, Or um, you're praying with your wife on a Friday night. Uh, Dear God, I pray that uh, wives everywhere would uh, would understand that their husbands have had a hard week and would let them lie in bed the next day and uh, get them breakfast in bed. Amen. Is that is that just me? Okay. Okay. 
So I think, that, I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's sharing, these, this is where you can grow, but obviously he's being serious, um, but he wants to get them excited. You've got all this room for growth. So it's not boring to say you have everything in Jesus. And he gives two big requests here um, to God for, for the Colossians. Um, the, the first one then is verse 9. Um, have a look down. He says, I'm asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's his first big request for the Colossians. Now I think um, when we hear uh, the word will um, with respect to God, we tend to think of it um, in terms of God's plans. So we think knowing God's will is kind of like seeing a map. Okay, uh, that's with a, with a route on it. That's where God's going to go, that's where he'll take me, and that's where he'll take that person. Okay, great. But actually, uh, when Paul uses the word will in this sentence, um, the word he uses here is more about desire. So God's will here is more about what he wants. So it's kind of like his, his heart. So Paul's praying that they'll know God's will. And what he means by that is to understand, to, to get what God wants, to kind of get his heart. So it's a really relational kind of thing. Uh, I think the best example of this is in a marriage. Um, so you see it in a husband and wife. They've lived together for a few years and they're starting to get to know each other to the extent where they kind of get to know what, what each other wants um, and what, what the other person's heart is in any particular situation. Um, so, for example, um, I can be driving in a car with, uh, with Hannah and we'll drive past a, a restaurant that's just opened and it's empty and the owners are sort of looking out into the street longingly. And I, I don't have to ask Hannah, I don't have to say anything. I know in that moment her heart is breaking. Because she's like, oh no, they're going to close down, there's no one going there. She's just really genuinely worried about the owners of that restaurant. I don't have to say anything. I'll just put a hand on her, her, her knee and say, don't worry Hannah, it'll be okay. It's Tuesday and it's only six o'clock, more people will come. But I don't have to say anything, I, I know that's what her heart is. That's a silly example. You see it more in an older couple. Let's say they've been married uh, 50 years and they've really invested in their marriage and they just know each other back to front. They don't have to say anything to each other. They just know. So that they, they know where not to go, where, where, where they don't enjoy going. They know where each other enjoys. So they just go there. They know what kind of things they like doing, what, how they like to relate to people. They just know each other. They get each other. And Paul's saying, imagine being like that with God. Imagine being like that, knowing God that well, to know his will, to understand his heart that much. That's what he's praying for. He's praying they'll be filled with a knowledge of God's will and filled right up to the top. Praying that they'll know God that well. And the amazing thing is, here's the stunning thing. If, if you're a Christian and you've received Jesus in faith and you said yes, you love me, thank you, and you've received him. You're joined to him. The Bible actually describes becoming a Christian as like being married. And so this is possible. That's the amazing thing. It's possible to know God that well, that intimately. And just like a marriage, the thing about marriage is there's always more to learn. So I've heard marriage described as like being uh, the universe within. So there's so much to know about the other person in a marriage. Two people joined together. There's just so much to explore. You never stop finding out about the other person. If that's true in a marriage between two humans, how much more is it true of Jesus being joined to him? How much more is there to explore? 
He came to show us what God's like. He is God. The whole universe was made through him. There's limitless possibilities, things to find out. There's a whole, whole universe within, in our relationship with Jesus. So how could we ever get bored? If you have Jesus, you have everything. But that's not the end. There's so much more to go. There's so much more to go. But notice what Paul prays in verse, in verse uh, 9. He prays for the Colossians to be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So wisdom is not just knowing something. It's knowing how to put that into practice in your life, how, how to apply it. So Paul prays not just that they'll know God's heart, but they'll know how that translates into everyday life. And let, everyday life is complex. There are grey areas. There's often no right and wrong. There's lots, of, there's lots of things that we don't know the answer to. So Paul's praying that they'll know his heart and have spiritual wisdom to, in a given situation, understand what God would think or what God would want in that situation. So it's really applied. And just notice the results of having this kind of knowledge in verse 10. The result of knowing God's will with wisdom is that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him because they understand his desires and his heart, bearing fruit in every good work because they're living out his desires in their life, putting it into practice, and, and growing, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God because there's always more to know and understand. There's always deeper to go. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? To know God that well and to put it into practice like that in your life. That's what's possible. And that's what Paul wants the Colossians to get excited about. You have everything in Jesus, but be excited. There's still room for growth. And the second request then in verse 11 is uh, that they'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That sounds a very grand prayer, doesn't it? They'll be strengthened with power according to his glorious might. I think this prayer is actually a nod to the false teachers in Colossae um, and the other prayer requesters as well, I think, because they're going on about uh, knowledge and power. And Paul's saying, I'm praying for real knowledge for you and I'm praying for real power for you. But what's the power for? Verse 11, um, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. That's not very glamorous, is it? Praying for power just to endure, just to be patient. He's saying, the thing you need power for is to stay where you are. Why? Because the false teachers are trying to lure you away. They're trying to tempt you. Come and get this more that's like extra to, to Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, you need power to stay where you are. Why? Because where you are is exactly the right place for you to be. So you need to stay there and you need strength to stay there. Um, just imagine you're, um, you're in a really good job. <clears throat> you may be, you may not be. Just imagine you are. Um, it's well paid, you've got great bosses who understand you and they're flexible, there's great benefits, um, you, you've got a good work-life balance and you get a call from a headhunter and they're offering you a new job in a city, in, let's say London, and it's, it's more money, it's also a lot more work, it's a lot more risky, it's a new company and it's a, it's a lot um, more pressure. There's, there's no chance you'll see your family anywhere near as much and you know in your heart this, is, this isn't the right thing. I need to stay where I am. But because it's tempting, you're going to need power. You're going to need strength to stay where you are. 
That's what Paul's saying. You need power to stay where you are because where you are is exactly the right place for you to be. And notice just how he wants them to endure. In verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the, in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's saying, stay where you are. How, how, do you, how does he want them to do it? With joy and thankfulness. Because where they are is amazing. So stay where you are with joy. Don't be grudgingly staying where you are. Don't be grudgingly sticking with Jesus. Give joy and, and, and thank God because where you are is amazing. And he reminds them of a few truths about where they are. He reminds them you're qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He says you've got a hope in heaven. You've got a hope that one day you'll be with Jesus, the same one who has loved you and given up everything for you. You're going to be with him forever. And there is nothing that compares to that, nothing. That is a good place to be. He says, you've had a complete change of status. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness and you're now in the kingdom of light. So you were in a place of separation and death. You were far away from God and now you're joined to him, brought back into relationship with him. And now you have life. He says, in in whom we have redemption. So redemption is about being set free from slavery. So we were slaves to sin. We were slaves and now we're free. Free to love the one who's loved us. He says, you have the forgiveness of sins. So we were guilty. Guilty and held captive by our consciences. Weighed down. And now we have total forgiveness. And we live in the sunshine of his love. Now that is the gospel. That's the good news. How has it happened? Purely by God. We contribute nothing. He does everything. And why? Purely because of his grace. It's totally undeserved. And the purpose of it is that he brings us back into that close, intimate relationship that we've talked about. Now that's amazing. And Paul says that's where you are. And that's why you can't move on. You can't leave that. Don't go anywhere else. Don't listen to these guys who are offering you these these special experiences or or this special philosophy or whatever it is. Don't be tempted to move on from this. Stay where you are with joy and thankfulness. So I wonder how you're feeling about your life this afternoon. Maybe you're a Christian And you're in that place of feeling kind of dissatisfied. And you're looking at your prayer life and you're thinking, I can't remember the last time I really prayed. And you're not feeling passionate. And you're looking around at other people and you're thinking, they seem to have it together. I don't feel like I do. And you're feeling like you're missing out. And you're looking at those bookshelves at the Christian bookshop and you're thinking, I need something extra. I need something to give me a boost. I need to try harder. I need to go to the latest conference. Whatever it is, I need something. But that's something you're looking for is not Jesus. Or, or maybe you're not a Christian and you're feeling dissatisfied with your life too. You're looking around at the things you own and the things you do and the people that you love and you're thinking, it's not enough. There's more. And the, 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 the voices from the culture, from the adverts, are just sounding so loud to you. And you're thinking, yeah, they're right. I don't have... 
I, I don't have enough. I need more. But the thing is, whatever you buy, however good the holidays you go on, however good the car is, it never satisfies. And you know that, and we all know that. We've all tried it. It never satisfies. Wherever you are, the message of Paul from Colossians is this. Jesus is enough. And that's the message we all need to hear. If you're Christian or if you're not a Christian, Jesus is enough. So do what it takes. Get him in front of you. Read the Bible. Read a gospel. I had a great experience of this a few weeks ago. We did the Mark drama as a church where we acted out the whole of Mark's gospel as a church. And it was thrilling. It felt like a real spiritual shot in the arm for, uh, for most of us, I think. Certainly us who were in- involved. Why? Because we were getting Jesus in front of us. But don't just look at him. Receive him. Get to know him. And live with him. Even if you've known him for years, keep exploring that universe within. And do it with joy and thankfulness. Because where you are is where you need to be. If you have Jesus, you have enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for uh, giving us to him for free. We thank you that all we have to do is give up the fight, throw in the towel, stop resisting uh, your goodness, stop trying to tell ourselves that you're not really loving, and receive you. Thank you, Jesus. That's all we need to do. And thank you that you are enough. Thank you that there is always more to explore. There's a whole universe um, to explore. Father, thank you that uh, you offer us that kind of intimacy uh, that we couldn't possibly uh, begin to imagine if it weren't for the fact that you've promised it to us. Um, I pray for each person here that we would grow, grow more in our relationship with Jesus and never uh, look anywhere else. We pray in his name. Amen.